Well, thank you once again for the privilege of being able to be with you today. Thanks to Pastor Rob and the leadership. It's a, a real honor to be able to be back with you good folk today. And I pray that the Lord will speak to us through this time together today as we look at the Sabbath, and we're going to look in particular at Genesis chapter 3 in the first 13 verses. So let's begin there by reading this passage. Hear God's word. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is as true today as the day you inspired it through the Holy Spirit. And we pray that that same Holy Spirit who inspired the words of the scriptures will bring them to life for us today as we seek to understand them and apply them to our own lives. Give us ears to hear, minds that are open, and hearts that are responsive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a time when the Sabbath was observed widely within culture and community. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, so that meant Sabbath began with getting ready for church in the morning, going to church and Sunday school, coming home in the afternoon, and often it meant a Sunday afternoon nap. And then the rest of the day was often spent in family gatherings, either with my grandparents or with uncles and aunts in the community. It was a day that most people seem to observe and appreciate um, in terms of the change of pace that it brought. Now, as a kid growing up, the Sabbath seemed to be more about what you couldn't do than what you could do. And though most commercial activities stopped in those days on the Sabbath, on Sunday, there were still a few things that happened. And one of the things that happened was that the senior men's baseball league always played their home games on Sunday afternoon at the ballpark, which was around the corner from our home. Now, I was a baseball nut growing up as a kid, a little less nutty now, but still a baseball fan. 
And I used to watch people walking to the baseball stadium and, and grieving that I couldn't go and watch the game because, of course, that would have been a violation of the Sabbath. Well, obviously, we have come a long ways from those days in terms of observing the Sabbath and having that regular rhythm of, of rest. And we've almost gone to the opposite extreme these days where there is no Sabbath anymore. All there is is work. And so as we look at Sabbath, I want to take some time and go back to the roots of it and to some of the things that have influenced how we understand the Sabbath today. And that's why we go back to the creation account. Work and business is often driven by the tyranny of the urgent in the world in which we live today. And it's not necessarily driven by that which is most important. And what we want to do is get back to the things that are most important, the things that can give life and bring restoration to our souls. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 3, we see three lies that were given to Adam and Eve in the garden. And Greg Boyd in his book, Seeing is Believing, does a great job of highlighting those three lies and how they've influenced us. So let me just highlight first the first lie. And the first lie is about God. It's that God is not loving or caring and that he is not willing to provide everything that we need. That's what the serpent is essentially saying when he says, has God really said? In other words, can you trust what God's saying? Do you really believe that he's going to provide for all your needs? And what he's doing is putting that seed of doubt in humanity, in Adam and Eve, that will lead them to that place where instead of trusting in God, they begin to trust in themselves. Instead of trusting that God is a God of love who get, uh, love and who in his love gives and provides, it becomes expressed in our taking care of ourselves. And so the serpent seeks to plant that seed of doubt that God won't provide that we have to take care of ourselves, that God doesn't love us, that we have to love ourselves, that he won't have our best interest at his heart, and that God is keeping our eyes closed to some realities that would only make us better people. That's kind of tied up in the first lie of the serpent with Adam and Eve. The serpent seeks to convince Eve that God doesn't want the competition with himself by somebody else who sees all things and knows all things, as in eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so the message that comes through from that is the serpent is convincing Adam and Eve that God is also withholding. One, you can't trust him, and two, he's withholding. He's not giving you everything you should have. And the second lie from the garden is about us. What the serpent says to Adam and Eve next is, surely you won't die if you contravene what God has said. And what he's saying is, what he's implying is that as God was threatened by Adam and Eve's freedom, that God was withholding something from them that would make them more omniscient, that would make them more aware that their eyes would be open. And Satan suggests that our freedom really is found in being separate from God, not connected to God. And that's what's lying behind this lie. And so instead of looking to God for freedom, we look to ourselves to make ourselves free. 
And instead of trusting God, we trust ourselves and begin to provide for ourselves in a never-ending scheme of performance that also impacts how we then understand ourselves because we believe that God will not supply our needs. And that takes us to the third lie. And the third lie from the devil as he's tempting Adam and Eve is, eat and then you'll be like God. That's from verse 5. And so what he's really saying is, if our freedom is found separate from God, if we can truly only become our full selves by independence from God, then we can improve our lives by asserting that independence and taking care of ourselves, performing for ourselves. We become human doers, not human beings. And instead of trusting in God, our Creator, we trust in ourselves. We trust in our performance. And you see that in almost every culture and religion that exists today, where we perform to get merit with God so that he'll give us the things that we want or need. We begin to believe that God's approval of us is based on what we do, not on what Christ has done and what God has done for us. And so it plays itself out in things like, you know, if things aren't going the way we want in our lives, maybe it's because we're not praying enough, not reading our Bibles enough, not going to church enough, not tithing enough. You add to the list. But there's a whole list of prescribed things that you'll hear often, even in the church today, of people who want to drive on this performance track because if we're not performing right, God won't honor us, God won't bless us. And it really becomes about acquiring merit and worth before God by way of our performance. (coughs) Ken Geyer, in his book, Relentless, Relentless Pursuit, said this, He said, if you believe the lie long enough, it becomes the truth, the truth as you perceive it. When we believe the lie, then the whole world becomes our stage in which we perform. Appearance becomes everything, and secrecy is required to cover up any imperfections that would communicate that we are not perfect people. When we believe the lie, we begin to dance faster, higher, jump higher, run faster, you name it. The performance just begins to pile up. And our well-being gets then based on our performance, that we don't feel right about ourselves unless we're performing the right way, pleasing the right people, and that performance becomes our, our lives. And in the end, Contrary to what the serpent told Adam and Eve, we do not become better, more complete people. We become more empty. We become shells of what we could be if we lived in communion with God. And so instead of becoming God-like, we become lost, and we get into this endless cycle of performance that leads to our death spiritually, and ultimately can lead to our death physically as we give ourselves to workaholism and performance in the extreme. We die. That's the result. And so out of these three lies, 
we see three refusals that come out of the garden and become the default mode of humanity. The first refusal is the refusal to trust God, replaced by trusting ourselves. The second refusal is to accept his word as true and reliable. And the third refusal is to accept his rhythm for our lives, a rhythm that includes rest, so that who we are is expressed in how we live. Are we doers or are we beings? Are we loved, cared for, provided for, or are we our own source of love, care, and provision? It even translates into our identity and how we understand ourselves. Do we get our identity from our relationship to God through Christ and all that he's done for us by his death and resurrection? Or do we get our identity by our performance? If you look into our culture today, you'll see that, see that the latter is actually the, the default mode of most of our culture's thinking in terms of identity, that we are what we make ourselves to be. And in the extreme, it gets to the place where we say, well, I am who I am and I can choose who I want to be, right down to the point of choosing our sexuality. That all flows out of this original lie from the garden and these refusals. And so the question is, do I create my own identity by what I do to make myself the person I want to be, or is my identity forged by the person who made me, God himself, and the worth and the value, value that he has invested in me by virtue of being made in his image and redeemed by the blood of Christ? Whose word will I trust about who we are, and how we should live. And whose rhythm are we going to respond to? The rhythm of the world or the rhythm of God? Eugene Peterson, is, in his comment on the Sabbath commandment in Deuteronomy 5, said this, The Deuteronomy reason for Sabbath keeping is that our ancestors in Egypt went 400 years without a vacation. That's Deuteronomy 5 for 15. Never a day off. The consequence, they were no longer considered persons, but slaves, hands, work units, not persons created in the image of God, but equipment for making brick and building pyramids. Humanity was defaced. If you think about the corporate world of Canada and really the Western world in general these days, you begin to realize how accurate Eugene Peterson's statement is about the work world today, where corporations treat those who are the workers on the ground as work units, simple means by which they can generate greater profits. It's a sad statement about the world that we live in, that people become work units instead of people. And we cater to it ourselves by our desire to perform for merit to get the things that we want. And so as we think about Sabbath and its impact on our lives and our identity, we ask ourselves about the three crises that also exist in our culture today that really come out of the this same area of identity and understanding Sabbath and rest in ourselves. 
And there are three crises I see in our culture today. The first is a crisis of identity. It's the question of who am I? How do I get to be who I am? The second crisis is a crisis of meaning or value. Where does the meaning for my life come from? What's the value of my life if I'm just a fluke in the universe? And the third crisis is a crisis of significance. Does my life count for anything? Now, the answer to those things from a Christian perspective is our identity is rooted and grounded in our relationship to God through Christ who calls us his child by way of our adoption through faith. That's where our identity lies. It's as children of the king. We didn't earn it. We didn't buy it. We didn't perform for it. It's a gift that was given to us. When my grandson was born, he took on the name McKinnon, and as such, he got all the rights and privileges of being a part of our family. At that point, he hadn't done anything to earn it or to merit it. He just got it. And the same is true of you and me. In our relationship to God, our identity is grounded in that simple act of grace where we become the children of God. And from a perspective of meaning, because God is our creator, because he has redeemed us, he has invested our lives with meaning, with value, and with significance because of the things he invites us to do to join him in ministry and partnership with him and how his kingdom is unfolding in this world. We're his instruments. So our lives have meaning and value and significance because of the gifts he's invested in us and the ministries he's invested in us and the purpose he's working out in our world through us. And so as we think about those three crises, we come back now to the three benefits of Sabbath. And the first benefit of Sabbath is it removes the distortion of self-importance. One of the things that happens when you get on this performance treadmill is you begin to think nobody else can do what I can do, therefore I have to do it. And it's really a fallacy. Because maybe somebody can't do things exactly the way you do them, but they can get them done. And the point of leadership is to find people who can get things done and turn them loose to do it, to learn in the process so that they can become excellent in what they're doing. And really the whole goal of leadership, if you ask me, is to find people who have some ability and allow them to be turned loose to the point that they begin to do the things that you are doing and excel in them above what you ever could have accomplished on your own. And so... One of the things that we do with Sabbath is we remove the distortion of our own self-importance. We stop because there are forces we recognize as believers that are at work in this world and in the universe that are bigger than us, that keep the universe together. That force is God. And so we can take time off to rest, to recover, to refuel, to be refreshed, Because God is still at work even when we're resting. And while our efforts are important, the thing we need to recognize is they're not indispensable. That God gives to us the invitation to rest. And he will take care of the details that flow from that rest. I remember a conversation I had with a a pastor friend one time after he had just had a heart attack. 
I knew the schedule he'd been keeping, and it was a crazy, crazy schedule. Shouldn't have been keeping it. But he was working late hours, doing all kinds of things that other people could have been doing. And in the end, it cost him a heart attack and put him in the hospital and sidelined him for a while. And I remember talking to him after he came out of the hospital. I said to him, you know, you need to recognize that one day you're going to die. And if you're the pastor of this church, when that day comes, they'll celebrate you. They'll have a funeral for you. They'll send flowers to your widow. And then they'll move on to the next pastor. Now, that may sound harsh, but one of the things I wanted to impress upon him is you are not indispensable and the world will not revolve around you. So you need to take care of yourself because I'll guarantee you that nobody else will do it for you. That's the beauty of Sabbath. It gives us the opportunity to rest, to refuel, to replenish what's been depleted through the busyness of following the tyranny of the urgent. And so one of the things that uh, Sabbath does is it removes that distortion of self-importance. The second thing it does is it dispels the illusion of urgency. There are always things that are more urgent to others than they are for you, but they will try and convince you that they are emergent, not urgent. remember a pastor talking one time about uh, finally getting to uh, have a day off And uh, in the evening of that day, he got a phone call from a wife who was calling in distress, felt that their marriage was in crisis, and they needed to see the pastor that night. Well, he probed a little bit and asked some questions, and one of the things that he discovered was their marriage was not in crisis that night. It had been in some trouble for some time, but it was urgent to them that night that they reach out to the pastor. They didn't need to see him that night, but they tried to impress him with the fact that they needed him that night. What they did in the end was agree to meet him on another day where the pastor could observe his Sabbath and have a refreshed heart to be able to deal with whatever the situation was that they were dealing with in their marriage. And so there are needs that come along, and and to us they're urgent in the moment and they're an emergency, but the reality is sometimes those things have been building for some time, and they're not going to change overnight just because we have a visit with a pastor. And so Sabbath helps us remember that there is a big difference between the urgent and the important, the emergent. And so it liberates us from the compulsion to get everything done all at once. One of the things I've struggled with, I think, most of my life in ministry is being able to walk away from a job before it was finished. That's meant that I've missed a lot of mealtimes with family. It's meant I've missed a lot of things with family because ministry often took over from family, unfortunately. And one of the things was because I couldn't leave a job unfinished. That was a statement about my own heart and my performance ways. But one of the things that Sabbath does for us is it reminds us you can walk away from a job before it's finished because your soul needs the rest. And the truth of the matter is, if you take that moment to pause, the project you are working on gets done a lot easier and with a lot more clarity after you've had the rest. And so Sabbath liberates us from the compulsion to get everything done all at once and on my schedule. 
and it is weighed in the rhythm of God's rest, God's plans. It's not about my plans. It's God's plans that I'm submitting to. And so the third part of this is that the Sabbath restores rhythm. God made us with a rhythm in mind. It was a rhythm he observed for himself in creation. We notice that he worked six days, took the seventh off. That was part of his rhythm. And that's part of the rhythm he's given to us for our own benefit. So that we can be clear, be refreshed, be refocused. Sabbath allows us to stop whatever we are, whether, fin- whether we're finished or not, and refocus. And Sabbath doesn't matter, doesn't depend on our readiness to observe it. By that I mean the Sabbath comes and we stop whether we're ready for it or not because we need to. We stop because it's time to stop. Things will keep until we get back to them and we'll trust God for what is unfinished. There's the act of faith that goes with this Trusting in God as the one who will provide. In our stopping, we give ourselves time and permission to refocus, to get clarity, and to trust God for what is undone. And I want to suggest to you that there is a three-part harmony. You're picking up on all the threes. There's a three-part harmony in the rhythm of rest that God provides for us. And the first part of that harmony is surrender. It's surrendering our lives to God in trust, acknowledging I'm a small part of what God is doing in the world and that I can entrust the pieces that I haven't finished into his care, knowing that they will be safe while I take a rest and can come back with clarity. Surrender is the part of the practice of, uh, of Sabbath in terms of express the expression of a life that's daily and practically surrendered moment by moment to him. I used to use a, a, a phrase in terms of Sabbath that we should break daily, uh, and all the research shows that you should get up from your desk every 20 minutes or so and move around for your own health, if nothing else. So break daily, Sabbath weekly, and retreat monthly. I have to confess, I was never very good at the monthly retreat, but I did manage to to observe a, a weekly Sabbath at least. But I think that's a good rhythm for life, and I think that's the way God intended for us to be. He didn't intend us to be just oxen that are constantly working. He intended us to be people who share his image with the world by how we live our lives and how we live out our identity. And so we surrender to the love of God that pursues us, and takes away our need to earn love and favor and approval by what we do. The second part of this harmony is silence. So the first part is surrender. The second part is silence. One of the things about Sabbath is that it should open up for us a window of silence in our souls that allows us to stop all the frenetic activity, the frenzied thought, and pause long enough to hear from the Lord. I think worship's an integral part of that in our lives week by week, to be able to pause and position ourselves to where we can hear from the Lord afresh. 
We need a break from the noise of activity, the entertainment, the diversion, the distraction. For many years, I couldn't stand silence. <clears throat> if I was traveling in the car, I had the radio on. If I was at home working or uh, just sitting around, there always had to be either music on or the TV on because I couldn't stand silence. And here's why. Because I know as soon as silence started, I had to begin to deal with the issues of my soul I wasn't prepared to deal with. And it was only at that point where I allowed silence to come in that I could hear from the Lord and begin to deal with those issues of my soul and begin to move on a journey towards healing and wholeness. That's the significance of silence. It gives us opportunity to hear afresh from the Lord without the clutter and the clanging of the world around us and all its noise. And the third part of this harmony is stillness. Sabbath allows us to stop our activity long enough to teach and remind our own souls that we are loved apart from what we do. Stillness reminds us that God is still at work even while we're still. And our Sabbath, while we're resting, He does what only He can do and we never could do. That's the significance of that trust. Stillness allows the inner world of frantic activity to slow down and give room for God to speak into our weary souls. Some people can't sit still. When I'm around them, I ask myself, why? And I'm convinced there's a couple of reasons why a lot of people can't sit still. One is, they're like me. That as soon as they sit still and as soon as silence penetrates their souls, they become aware of issues in their hearts and their lives that they need to deal with. And so busyness keeps them distracted away from being able to deal with their souls or being able to address those issues. And I think an awful lot of us in in our busyness are actually more running than we are busy trying not to deal with our souls, trying not to deal with our hearts. And the question becomes, in a two, um, if I'm not running from something and I still can't sit still, then I have to ask myself, who am I performing for? Whose favor is it that I'm courting by my performance or my people-pleasing? There is one audience that we live for. It's the God who made us who made us in his image, who has loved us, cared for us, provided for us, and redeemed us as an expression of all of that in the person of Jesus Christ. I think one of the beautiful things about Sabbath is it allows us to let ourselves be pursued and embraced by the God who made us and redeemed us and who gave his all for us. Sabbath is an important rhythm of life. Without it, life becomes all work, and it becomes no life at all. Without it, our lives become walking death. The shadow of what we could be, if we but paused, 
had a rest, and gave the Lord time to speak into our hearts. I pray that as you think about Genesis 3 and the lies that have so pervaded our culture and how we understand the work world and our lives and our identity, that you'll begin today to see yourself afresh as a child of God who does not need to perform for anybody because you are loved, valued, and esteemed by the God who made you and redeemed you. You did not become a Christian because you did something. You became a Christian because Christ did something. That's where your identity begins. And that's where the rhythm of rest begins. As we rest from our striving, our performing, our people-pleasing, and enter into the rest that he has for us that restores our souls. Let's pray together. Lord, in your wisdom, you knew that we would get into activity. And from the time of the the lies were spoken in the garden, you have seen how Humanity has turned itself into human doers, not human beings. Lord, in this world where identity has become so mixed up, remind us afresh and restore within us afresh our identity as the children of God, people you love and care for, people you long to be near, people you long to have a closeness, a proximity to, and people for whom you long for wholeness. O Lord, may our lives reflect anew the wholeness that comes from trusting in you and observing a Sabbath for our lives. As we rest, refocus, and hear from you afresh, Renew our hearts and our lives, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.